February 2004, Mara Murray empties her bank account, drives four hours from school, crashes her car, and vanishes. Join the search as an investigative reporter uncovers new evidence, interrogates new witnesses, traces down new leads in this riveting new investigative series. The Disappearance of Maura Murray, Saturdays, 7, 6 Central, and 9, 8 Central on Oxygen, the new network for crime. Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on Sirius XM Triumph, Channel 132. The search is on for a missing two-week-old baby. She was only 15 days old, but even in that short time, Tim Bell loved every ounce of his little granddaughter, Kalia McNabb. She was tiny. You had to feed her every two hours, changing the little diapers in. Her little head was about the size of a tennis ball. Her parents said they fed and changed her at 5 a.m. Saturday. They reported her missing at 10 that morning. County, I, want to the emergency. I just woke up. My dog woke me up on the couch. I have a two-year-old and I have two-week-old. My two-week-old is not in her sleep. Her passes on the floor. She's not in her sleeper. I, she's not in her sleeper. She, she's not here. You know who got my kid, man? But I want my kid back, man. That's my child, man. I want my kid, man. You know, typically when there's a newborn, there are balloons in the front yard. There is a celebration. There's a flurry of texts and emails and baby photos that go out. Instead, when Kalia McNabb was just 15 days old, she goes missing. What happened? I'm Nancy Grace. This is Crime Stories, and we want answers. I want you to first listen to the 911 call. Neaton County, 911, stress the emergency. I just woke up. My dog woke me up on the couch. Um, I have a two-year-old, and I have a two-week-old. And my my two week old is not in her sleeper. Her passy is on the floor. She's not in her sleeper. I, she's not in her sleeper. She, she she's not here. I've looked everywhere. I've looked under clothes and everything. What's your address, ma'am? One two one four five, Highway thirty six, lot thirty one. Yes, lot thirty one. Do you think somebody took her, ma'am? My child said my my, my two year old says she's gone. And I've looked everywhere in the house, so I don't I don't know another possibility. What lot number are you at? 31. Okay. And you said you were sleeping, woke up, and she was gone? Yes. My my, my two-year-old came and woke me up. That's right. That's how it was on the couch. Kalea! How old is she, ma'am? Two weeks old. Okay. And you, who else would have come in your house? I, I mean, as far as I know, nobody would have came in my house. My two-year-old says, Papa, but I called my dad and I called my grandparents, and they don't have her. Okay. My dad's on the way here now. Okay. But, uh, All right. How long have you been asleep? Um, the last time I woke up with her was around... I guess five, maybe. Okay. So you were asleep since five o'clock? Yes. I didn't even mean to fall asleep on the couch. I sit down for a minute after dealing with her all night. Or can you tell if someone's been there? Is her blanket there gone? Um, Her blanket's gone. Her passy's here on the floor. Her blanket's not with us. 
I don't know where. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's with her. Okay. And I have clothes and totes, but I've looked all in on them. She's not here. Anything else missing, like a baby bag that she would that she would have, or anything else? No. Her bottle's here, on top of my shelf. Okay. What about no, it, 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 in my bathroom on my vanity? I'm sorry. Ma'am. Huh? What about anything else that could possibly have gone, like, could be hers that could have gone with her? Um, no. Nothing else. Just her and her blanket. Okay, so the only thing is miss that's missing is her and her blanket. Yeah. You didn't talk to the dad or a grandma or anybody else? Her dad was okay, stop dad right was there, there, Alan Duke, and, if you don't mind. walking around the park looking for her. Thanks. I'll pick up the rest. I'll pick up the rest in just one moment. With me right now, Director of the Cold Case Institute, Cheryl McCollum, Death Scene Investigator, Forensics Expert, Joseph Scott Morgan, Professor at Jacksonville State University, Psychologist out of New York, Karen Stark, and Crime Online Investigative Reporter, Lee Egan. Cheryl McCollum, I'm going to go back to the 911 call because that's where we start every investigation as we try to establish a timeline. This is around 10 a.m. in the morning. The mom says she last saw her at 5 o'clock. But I've I've got a lot of questions I want to throw at you. Now let me just start with, I've been dealing with her all night, says the mother. I've been dealing with her. I've been dealing with her all night. When I say, and maybe I'm projecting, but when I say, you know, you're going to have to deal with that. Correct. I'm dealing with it. Deal with it. Cope with it. Handle it. That's not a positive thing. That is not. not, I mean, that's my interpretation. That leaked out at me. If anybody says deal with that, they mean handle something that's not right, that's not good. No question about it. The very first thing that leaked out at me is you always want to know where the person chooses to start their 911 call. She chooses to let you know, hey, I just woke up. My two-year-old woke me up. She's letting you know, I'm building an alibi, people. I was asleep, so I can't possibly know anything. So right off the bat, I'm concerned because you would expect to hear a friend. You know what? Hold on. Well, wait, let me let me just let that soak in a moment because I'm feeling it in my skin. Actually, I can feel what you're saying because the hair on my arms going up I've, because I've told you this story. All of you've heard it. Don't whine <laughs> that when John David went missing at the superstore Toys R Us or Babies R Us. I turned around, I looked two or three aisles, I didn't see him, I didn't walk up to a, a guy or a woman in the little smock top, I and said, hey, I was back there and with my other baby and I was nowhere, no, I started screaming, my baby boy's gone, lock the doors now, <laughs> screaming, I mean, hysteria, it sounded like I had a siren in my throat. Right. I hear what you're saying. And again, this mother has not been charged. She is not a person of interest. She is not a suspect. She certainly hasn't gone in front of a jury and been convicted. We're talking about the 911 call. Okay, Cheryl, I'm projecting my feelings onto her. Now, let, let, let me go back to your analysis. But you expect to hear somebody frantic, Nancy. You expect for her to be screaming. You never hear this mother ask for help. You never hear her say, hurry, please get here. I need you. Never. In part, she's extremely calm. 
she says, I've even looked under clothes. I've looked in toes. That's not possible. That didn't even make sense to me right there. Uh, Karen Stark, psychologist, joining me, a very well-known psychologist out of New York City. Karen Stark, to say, I looked in the tote bag, like, that doesn't even make sense to me. The baby can, can't even turn over. It's just 15 days old. It doesn't. It, it can't even move. Well, to me, that's... Why would she say, I looked in the tote bag? That's, that's ridiculous. That's another giveaway. That's another giveaway, Nancy. I, th- I feel like uh, it's just coming out of her without her even beginning to realize what she's saying. Also, you notice how often she keeps saying, my two-year-old told me, my two... Like, the two-year-old is in charge of this situation. The two-year-old noticed it. The two-year-old said Papa was involved. And then she says, but, you know, Papa is my grandfather or could be my father. And everything is about the two-year-old. Let's analyze That's this two phone two years call. old. That's a baby. A Cheryl McCollum, before I play more of it, what more did you notice in the first part? She says she's gone. The blanket's with her. She notices the pacifier on the floor, which would not even be on anybody's register if they noticed the baby's not in the crib. But she keeps going back to the blanket. So that tells you the blanket is going to be with the baby. She flat says the blanket's with her. But she cannot utter the word. She's missing um, somebody kidnapped her. She's not using words like that. Well, at I all. would notice the passy. I would notice the passy on the ground. I would notice the passy on the floor. I would notice that. Uh, and I'd probably be screaming, the passy's here, but she's not. Um, I might notice the blanket was gone, but when you have a, a little baby, you've got a ton of blankets usually. You know, everybody gives you a blanket. And I would probably note, I don't know that I would notice the blanket was gone, but I hear what you're saying. I'm, I don't hear any frantic, my baby's gone, my baby's gone. No. Nope. I hear the nope. two-year-old told me I was asleep. I had to, I've been dealing with her all night. I looked in a tote bag of clothes, and she's not in there as if she would be. Okay, guys, let's hear the rest of this 911 call. Listen. What about anything else that could possibly have gone, like, could be hers that could have gone with her? Um, no. Nothing else. Just her and her blanket. Okay, so the only thing is miss, that's missing is her and her blanket. Yeah. And he didn't talk to the dad or a grandma or anybody else? Her dad was here with me. Dad just left, and he's walking around the park looking for her. Because my two-year-old says, I asked her, did somebody come in and take her? And she said, yeah, but I don't, I, you know, she's two, so I don't know if right. I can believe right. that or, or not. Did you look through everything, like under the bed? Yes, the ma'am. Bathrooms? Yes, ma'am. Okay. Okay. Kalia. All right. What's your name, ma'am? Courtney Bell. C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-B-E-L-L. Just to let you know, Courtney, they've been on the way out there. I'm just getting this information to update them, okay? Thank you so much. What's your phone number? Um, I'm not sure of this number. I, my phone busted the other day. Um, okay. This is my grandmother's phone. She's been letting me use. All right. So you and the dad both were – I'm just trying to get an understanding so I can let them know because uh, of the questions that they're asking me. You and the dad both were sleeping, or he just came back home? No, me and him woke up together. She woke us up together. Okay. okay. The two-year-old woke uh, y'all up and told y'all that the baby was gone? Yes. Okay. She and he, she was kind of freaked out. I mean, it, I don't I don't know. Because she was just standing there beside the couch in the corner, and I told her, come here, and I loved on her. And then I told 
my baby's dad to go check on Kalia. And then he's talking about she's not in here. She's not in here. Okay. Well, the police should be in the area now. Thank you. Uh huh. I'll go ahead and let you go, okay? Thanks. Uh-huh. Okay, Cheryl McComb, I don't understand something. Is that the two-year-old in the background going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy? Is that what I'm hearing? I can't tell. That's exactly. Yep, that's what you're hearing. And, Nancy, you notice she changes her story in the 911. I heard it. She originally says, the two-year-old woke me up, said the baby's gone. Then she says, I sent the dad to go check on the baby, and he said she was gone. And then she says, the two-year-old told me that, but I didn't know whether or not I should believe it. Okay, your baby's gone. You believe You missed it. one. You missed one. That she was standing in the corner between the sofa and the corner. Did I hear her say she was trying to sneak out? She said she I, was freaked I, out. I, I, freaked out. Okay. That the baby's standing between the sofa and the corner and she loved on her. And then, then sent the dad to go get Kalia. And that's when the baby, the two-year-old said, she's not there. And at the end, she goes, thank you so much. Yeah. I mean, that's what I taught. That's what I say to the Verizon person when I pay yeah. my bill. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. Right. I mean, I, I, I have more feeling when I'm trying to arrange a Delta flight at the end. I'm like, thank you so much. Well, can I point out one more thing, Nancy? Yeah. She says dad is out walking around. Yeah, Feel I no heard that. I, I couldn't tell what no she was urgency. saying. I, I made a note of that. Walking around. But why? Because I can hear the little two-year-old going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And why would they be walking around outside? The baby can't even turn over. Why would they think she's out on the swing set? Same reason she said she thought she could be in the toast. Same reason she said she looked under clothes. Guys, we have more evidence that we are sifting through, but I want to thank our partner making this program on Sirius XM 132 possible today in our search for justice and for baby Kalia. It's LegalZoom. As a business owner, you know how important it is to keep moving forward. But things come up that take your time and focus away from growing your business. So when it comes to reviewing contracts, registering trademarks, staying current on fees and permits, LegalZoom.com can simplify your life. LegalZoom has helped over 2 million business owners easily and affordably navigate the legal system with confidence and you never have to worry about an attorney's billable hours stacking up LegalZoom's not a law firm. Instead, you get the advice you need to answer your business questions at fixed rates through LegalZoom's nationwide network of independent lawyers. So go to LegalZoom.com now to take care of business before the year winds down. And for special savings, be sure to enter code NANCY in the referral box at checkout. LegalZoom.com We're going straight back to the disappearance of baby Kalia, just 15 days old. What's so odd about it, Joe Scott Morgan? Joseph Scott Morgan joining me, forensics expert, professor at Jacksonville State University, is that the minute the baby is found in these very peculiar circumstances out in the woods in a tote bag, interesting, and I'm, and I'm going to go back to Cheryl in a moment, 
and Karen and Lee Egan about the tote bag. We hear tote bag, tote bag, tote bag all the way through the 911 call. Joseph Scott Morgan, isn't the baby found in a tote bag in the woods? And the moment the dad finds out about it, instead of falling down in anguish, she screams out, I didn't do it. Yes, yes, that's absolutely correct, Nancy. Uh, and this is this is a, a very important point here found within the tote bag. When the initial reports came out, they were just saying, you know, baby was wrapped in a blanket and placed in some brush or beneath a log. I think that came out. However, this is really important, Nancy, and we need to pay close attention to this. The child's body is inside of a tote bag and wrapped in a blanket. Now, from an evidentiary standpoint, this is monumental because that that acts almost like a cocoon where it protects the evidence uh, that could be found associated with the body. So this is going to be very important going forward. You know, I'm thinking about uh, another issue, and Cheryl McCollum director of the cold case institute you know (laughs) i look back on all the murders the homicides the manslaughters that i've investigated covered tried pled the works i mean i don't know how many thousands and that sounds crazy like a crazy number but think about it cheryl every week in the district attorney's office in a felony courtroom i get about 100 new cases every week Sometimes twice a week, right? Because the grand jury meet twice a week. And so you multiply that times four weeks a month, times 12 months, times 10 years. That's thousands of homicides. Think about it. And when it's a random case, think about it. Think about it. You find the body right there. Carjacking, it's right there in the parking lot. It's right there in the driveway. The body's just laying there. Um... Once in a great while, you'll find the body move. Very rarely will a random killer neatly put the baby in a baby blanket, wrap it up, put it in a tote, and lay it out in the woods. That's not how a random murder happens. I, I can't really, I don't know why. I just know that that's true. Absolutely. You're, you're wanting us to believe that a stranger came in and took that kind of time as well. Nancy, there's two things that are going to help with the timeline. That baby's diaper, right? That's going to show, was the baby changed and fed at 5 a.m. or not? I can tell you're a mom. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The baby's diaper, okay? Hey, but it's key, right? And the other thing that I think is going to come back to, um, you know, bite the mom a little bit in this 911 call is she never gave the baby's description oh my stars you're right i mean i can tell you right now what the twins are wearing i can even tell you call me crazy karen start i can even tell you what color their socks are and their underwear because i laid it out last night Mm-hmm. i can tell you right now nobody's asking me so i won't go into it yeah she you know what you're right lee egan what more do we know? I noticed the little two-year-old, according to the mom, said Papa did it. That's her. That's the two-year-old's grandfather, the mom's dad. But in the background, you hear the daughter, the little two-year-old going, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. What do we know about the grandfather? Uh, the two-year-old is in the grandfather's custody right now, so he's not considered a person of okay, interest. Okay, and again, she has not been charged. She's not named as a suspect, a person of interest at all at this juncture. 
Karen Stark, what about Cheryl McCollum's observation? She never said what the baby was wearing or what the baby even looked like. And she never mentioned the baby's name as far as I can recall. But she also listened to her voice, Nancy, as you said. There's no hysteria. There's no, she's being so polite. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And no, my baby is missing. You don't hear that. You don't hear her getting crazy over the fact that this baby is only two weeks and she's checking a tote. I've got so many notes, I I hardly know where to start. Speaking of the grandfather, listen to what he has to say. She was tiny, you know, uh, you had to feed her every two hours, changing the little diapers there, and her little head was about the size of a tennis ball there. She was so little, you know. From the first time that you pick them up, they're love there. That love is broken. I mean, it hurts like I have never hurt before. Now, that is what you're hearing from the maternal grandfather. Okay, now, now keep in mind, you never know what if any bad blood is between the wife's father and the husband. Okay, so we don't know their history. We don't know why he feels the way he does about the dad. I'm talking about Christopher McNabb, who as soon as he hears the baby Kalia is missing and that she's found, he goes, I didn't do it. That's the first thing he, he says. Okay, let me go to Joseph Scott Morgan, death scene investigator and professor of forensics. Joe Scott, please evaluate the documents we've just gotten from the courthouse. There's actually, as, as stark as they might be, there's actually a wealth of wealth of information in here. And uh, let me address this. The, the police in their affidavits had stated that, and this is rather graphic, uh, Nancy, but the reality is they're saying that this poor baby's skull uh, was absolutely decimated and crushed. Okay. What they do say in here is that, and it's, it's key, they're saying that the baby was struck by an unknown object. They're not saying hands, they're not saying fists, they're saying that it was wielded, the police are, that the, the object was wielded by this father. What that means is they've identified something. We don't know what it is yet, and they they might be able to marry up a pattern here. And they're taking an object and putting it in his hand, and that's key because this isn't like a random striking event where you see somebody that will ball up a fist. This is somebody that took the time to go get an object and then perpetrate this kind of trauma, this lethal trauma on this little angel. You know, I'm just, just thinking about it because um, I have a very young relative that was hit by a van as a, a, a child and the damage to the skull was just almost, it, 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 well, we didn't know that he was going to live. I'm happy to say he graduated with honors from college and a double major, so he's brilliant. But I remember that damage, that horrible damage to his head. I'm thinking about a little baby laying in the crib and how this whole thing, Cheryl McCullough, must have gone down. How 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 did the mom not know? She heard the baby screaming or the two-year-old didn't run into her room. Well, I, I can't help it, Cheryl. I guess I'm projecting again because 
that's the single, I mean, you, you know my story. That's the single most important th- thing to me on earth. Right. Those babies, my babies. Nancy, there's no way that she didn't hear the baby crying, and then the crying immediately stopped. And he's running around getting the blanket, getting the tote bag, leaving. There's no way she's not in some way full of knowledge about what happened inside that home. Hell, the two-year-old knows it. How does she not? I'm just sick, sick about it. About what... Joe Scott Morgan, can we go back to what we've learned about the MO, the method of operation, the modus operandi, or what we know about cause of death, manner of death, what exactly, exactly do we know? Well, they're, they're not being very specific. And let's keep in mind, this is coming from the police, not the medical examiner. This is being, you know, uh, told to us by the police department. What we do know is that this appears to be blunt force trauma. Another big piece here is that if this injury is as bad as they're saying that it is, Nancy. I, I believe that there will be transfer of evidence from that child's body, and I'm talking specifically like blood evidence that would have wound up back on the perpetrator of this, of this event, this, this horrible, horrible crime. And that is something they're going to have to look at very, very carefully. I just hope that the clothing of this individual has been sequestered, that he was not allowed to bathe, uh, I hope that they took very, very detailed documentary photographs of this individual as well and examined him from stem to stern. Well, I'm also thinking, Karen Stark, about what the two-year-old may have seen and could possibly relay because you hear her in the background saying, Daddy, Daddy, as the mom's talking to 911. You hear the two-year-old going, Daddy, Daddy. And and you hear her talking. You hear them talking about the fact you hear the mother saying the two-year-old told her. And when you think about two years old, how traumatic that is, Nancy. Remember when the twins were two? That's so young. They still remember things from when they were two, by the way. Of course they Guys, do. I want you to hear one more piece of evidence that we have right now of a convenience store clerk that came upon the father, Christopher McNabb. He just came in and he said, hey, you remember me from last night? And I said, no, sir. He said, you sure? I said, yes, sir. He said, remember, my baby's the one that got kidnapped. And I said, y'all don't leave me. Y'all don't leave me. That's him. That's him. And then they were standing there. And I said, please don't leave me. And then he started hollering and talking about, they're going to get me. They're going to get me. I've been running all day. I've been in the woods all day. And I tried to call 911. It wouldn't wouldn't go through. And I called again. wouldn't go through. And then the third time I called, it went through. And he's still standing here. And I said, uh, he said, they're not going to get me. He said, and anybody trust him. With me, they're going to get in trouble, too. And I said, okay, okay, but I don't remember you like that, you know. And then he went to the door, and when he went to the door, I hit it again and got 911. And I I called 911 again, and I got him, and I said, he's here. He's at 36 at the Chevron. He's in my store. He's going crazy. I don't know what his problem is, but he said he was running from the cops. He'd been hit in the woods all day. I said, "He's, he's really scary. Somebody needs to get here quick. And lastly, to know that that baby is, is, is dead, what does that mean to you? He's considered a person of interest. He is a person of interest. But he kept saying, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, we didn't do it, they did it. And when, y'all are going to be surprised when y'all find out who really did it. But I didn't do it. 
and you're hoping that somebody comes forward because it's still no i was just hoping they wouldn't leave me in the store by myself because i'm i mean you know you just listen to what people say he came to the register you know he paid he said something to the cashier i couldn't because it's kind of muscle but then he turned around and he bagged out he looked at everybody me and cat come in cat because cat was right there and come in cat in the dog you know man looked at us and said i'm telling all y'all they're looking for me and i've been hiding in the woods he said but i didn't do it i just want the world to know i didn't do that to my baby and the young man looked like he was exhausted and wet but this man looked like he was running in fear but sometimes, you know, you just got to stop and talk to the police. Let them know what's really going on. But he said that, he said, I'm telling the world and everybody in this store, I didn't kill my baby. I didn't, well, I didn't do that. Well, let me recant it. He said, I didn't do that. Because uh, I told him, I said, well, sir, I'm sorry what happened to your child, you know. And he got out of the store so fast. And then that's when me and Kyle shot him to the lady and uh, told him to call the police. Yeah. And then she called the police and automatically they came out here. And now we travel to Florida where a man guns down. Hold on. I hope you're sitting down for this. A man guns down another man for making a pass at his imaginary girlfriend. Let me let that soak in just a moment. Alan Duke. First of all, Alan Duke with me, Dr. Tiffany Sanders, psychologist, Karen Smith, forensics expert, and John Limley. Crime Stories contributing investigative reporter Alan Duke, uh, an imaginary girlfriend. Can I just tell you something? There was a movie, I'm trying to remember which one it was, where there's a little character. It's a cartoon. And he's always talking about his girlfriend from Canada. <laughs> and he's going, he always says, she's real, bro. She's real. That's not a Google image, bro. She's from Canada. She's gorgeous. And at the bottom it says Google image. It's a, it's not real it's not a real girlfriend she's not from canada it's an imaginary girlfriend okay i think it's coming back to me i think it was in stork i'm not sure okay back to you alan duke imaginary girlfriend you can go ahead and confess now you're married to a beautiful woman i've seen her she's real yes or else he paid somebody a lot of money to pretend it was yep. his wife. And I've seen the wedding photos. It's real. Yes. But, Alan, come on. <laughs> You've had an imaginary girlfriend before, I, right? I, yes, I have. Actually, have. Probably in elementary school. There was uh, Debbie was sitting across the aisle, uh, uh, the row from me, and I always imagined she was my girlfriend. I think this goes actually beyond Debbie in the first grade. This is like... Not anybody that you've ever met is somebody that doesn't even exist. This guy has an imaginary girlfriend. And this Florida guy, his name is Brian DeSorio, who's 30 years old, guns down David Armstrong after accusing him of making a romantic advance at his non-existent lover there in Port Ritchie, Florida. Now, this is according to the Tampa Bay Times. They report that the suspect's mother and her boyfriend were there at the time of the shooting. And Pasco County Sheriff Chris Nako, quote, Please note, Brian does not have a girlfriend. Okay, in his mind he did, but in reality he didn't. Now, just correction to everybody before Tiffany Sanders, Dr. Tiffany, gets cranked up about mental illness on this one. Pretending you have a girlfriend is not a mental illness. Let me just start with that. John Limley, 
Crime Stories investigative reporter. What happened here? Well, what we know at this point is that by the time all was said and done, there were two dead men. Uh, as you mentioned, Brian Desario, a 30-year-old man, he fatally shot 56-year-old David Armstrong, a friend of his mother's, whom he believed was making advances on his girlfriend, this girlfriend that doesn't exist. Uh, this happened sometime in the afternoon on Thursday. We understand it was just an hour before classes were to be dismissed at a nearby elementary school. And uh, that elementary school had to be put on lockdown because once the police arrived, they uh, exchanged gunfire with the suspect right in the Dear middle of the Lord road. Lord in heaven, I didn't realize, Alan, Duke, there was a shootout. Alan, you've got a daughter. Now, she's all grown up and beautiful and all that now. But you remember when she was a young girl and I've gotten those um, texts and emails from the school when they text out to all the parents, alert, alert. I nearly pass out when I get one of those. I drop everything I'm doing. I don't even read the whole thing. Then I find out, you know, there's high winds warning or there are, there's a power surge. Or, you know, it's never anything serious. But can you imagine a parent getting a, a text or an email while they're at work? saying we're in lockdown because there's yeah. a mad shooter down the road well truth be told it was probably my daughter they were texting about but uh <laughs> that, that guys that's not true she's she's perfect in every way go ahead right <laughs> yeah no i've actually been in that situation and it's the scariest thing in the world and i remember very clearly when my daughter was uh, in elementary school rushing to school because i got one of those it's terrible. Back to John Limley. I don't want to get sidetracked on me getting a text from the children's school when there's a power surge. I want to get back to what is at hand. There is a dead body. There is a dead body. All because of an imaginary girlfriend, John Limley. Okay, tell me how this thing went down, John. Well, what we understand is that the uh, the victim, uh, the 56-year-old man, David Armstrong, was a friend of the suspect, Brian Desario's mother, and that he had gone over. Uh, they were uh, talking in the garage. Uh, Armstrong comes out of the house, and he confronts Armstrong. This The suspect uh, confronts Armstrong and says, you know, I, you need to stop hitting on my girlfriend, and apparently uh, open fire right then and there. But, okay, I want to go to Dr. Tiffany Sanders, psychologist, joining us. Dr. Tiffany, yes. now I, I know Hi, where, Nancy. I'm ready for you, doctor. I'm ready for you because <laughs> I'm just putting it on the record. Men pretending they have a girlfriend is the oldest, oldest trick in the book. But I want to ask you, first of all, why do people pretend they have sweethearts, lovers, girlfriends, whatever? Why? Well, usually that's something that we do as kids, right? It's part of our, our, our general um, being raised and growing up. Because no, wait, no, wait. Friend. Dr. As Tiffany a Sanders, a child pretending to have an imaginary friend is a lot different than a grown man acting like he has a lover. All right, because I guess I grew up in that age where one of my favorite T-shirts was a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. And I don't know where it came from. I think I stole it from my sister. So, you know, I never pretended I had a boyfriend. 
ever. Either I, I, I had one a, or I was blissfully child, unattached. What? As a child, we all do that. I did it. I'm like, I had a friend that was from Puerto Rico. I don't know why I made it from wait, Puerto wait, Rico. Wait, 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 wait. I've got to. Okay, Dr. Tiffany, I think I need to bring on a shrink to deal with Dr. Tiffany, who is our shrink. <laughs> you didn't just have a friend. You had a friend from Puerto Rico. I, I called him, uh, you know, some Puerto Rican sounding name. I just thought it now, was Now, Dr. Cute. Tiffany, like, you know what the name was. What was it? I, Enrique. I just thought it was cute. I, you know, I think it is cute. That, that is time. cute. You know? <laughs> and, and that was, but that was as a child. And I was watching a lot of news with my parents. So I, I probably just made some associations. But as a grown adult. I now love you I'm even more, of, Dr. Tiffany. Because I've never <laughs> seen a chink in the armor before, but now that I know you not only had an imaginary friend, but his name was Enrique, I'm Enrique. totally in love with you now. Go ahead. And he was cute. He was super cute. Super but cute. I mean, I was, Has I was to be. a kid. Of course. But in this particular case, this is a man likely dealing with schizophrenia, some form of delusional disorder. Paranoia. I asked you so about why people pretend things. they have girlfriend, boyfriends. But that's why. This is someone who was seeing things, hearing things. No, I mean, regular people, Dr. Tiffany, regular people that do every shrink I bring on insists that everybody's mentally ill. Dr. Tiffany, you know how much I respect you, right? But I do not believe that pretending you have a girlfriend is a mental illness. I'm not talking about this guy. I'm asking you again, in general, why do people pretend they have girlfriends slash boyfriends? Why? Well, when you're an adult and you have you no know, friendships, you have poor social skills, you know, you make things up to look normal. And in his mind, he was trying to appear normal, but he started seeing things, shadows, images, something to the extent that he thought that that person was actually, he was having conversations likely in his head with that person and, and visualized, gave him more than a name like I did. It probably gave him last name and occupation or what have you. And then in his mind, delusional, he saw his friend look like he was making a pass. It probably could have been a, a old refrigerator in the garage and he went loco, psycho. Yeah, and that's you know what, Dr. What Tiffany, you're right because it boiled down to quote an absolute gun battle in the middle of the street. I mean, uh, Karen Smith joining me, forensics expert. You and I have seen a lot of crimes, right? And Karen Smith and I, yeah. who's a renowned forensics ex- expert, have actually performed a lot of scientific exp- uh, experiments together. Karen, when you look out your window, you might see the trash truck coming by, or you might see you know, women in a cluster walking or jogging or what, whatever. If you live in a big city, you'll see you know, cars flying by the front of your place like it's the interstate. But you typically don't see a gun battle in the middle of the street. No, you don't. And that would be not only disconcerting for the neighborhood, but my God, right across from an elementary school, that is terrifying. And what really struck me about this is when I saw the article, uh, this man had one gun that he either emptied completely or it jammed, and he went back inside and retrieved a second one to finish the job. The victim didn't die right away. He was wounded, and the forensic evidence will show that. And this guy went back in, got a second gun, and that was the one used in the gun battle. And that is what we call clear premeditation premeditation 
under the law is when you intend the act. And intent or malice can be formed in the twinkling of an eye. And that means in the time it takes you to point the gun and pull the trigger, that is time for premeditation under our law across this country to form. Premeditation or malice murder or murder one does not require a long plan such as poisoning someone over a period of time or a murder for hire where it's intricately planned. No, premeditation can be formed in an instant. And this guy, based on what Karen Smith is telling us, along with John Limley, not only unloaded on the victim, but then went inside, got another gun, and came out, and then finished killing him. He wasn't dead to start with him. Alan Duke joining me from L.A. Isn't it true, Alan? Uh, This is something you and I both noticed. This guy had a gun collection and a stockpile of ammunition. A stockpile. And if he did have any mental issue other than claiming he had a girlfriend, that imaginary girlfriend, if he did, why was he, why did he have an arsenal, Alan Duke? Can somebody tell me that? You know, I've, <laughs> I'd love to have an arsenal of guns. I love guns, but I don't have them because there's no reason for me to have them. I was in the military. I used them then. But uh, I'm just perfectly fine with going to a shooting range sometime and borrowing somebody else's gun. But there are people who love guns. They think that they are their girlfriend, an imaginary girlfriend. Is there Maybe they're AR-15. That might have been what this guy was doing. Okay, Alan, I actually wish you hadn't said that because now I'm never going to look at you the same way again. When you refer to guns as girlfriends, that's a little well, freaky. Not me. Not and me. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, you said it, Alan. Yes, well, you some s- people love their guns like they're their girlfriends. They, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Dr. Tiffany can tell us, do people get sexual satisfaction out of holding a gun? Okay, you know what? You're scaring me, Alan Duke. Because other than now, other than the ponytail, I thought you were fairly normal. I'm not in love with guns. Okay, Dr. Tiffany, go ahead and answer him because I'm not touching that with a 10-foot pole. Well, you know, it's about what they find as a priority in their life. And so they can treat it like it's, you know, a high-ranking member, like a wife, a husband, a girlfriend. Um, Most people don't sexualize objects. For someone to sexualize an object, we have to their sanity, their their mental health. But I do find, uh, like in the Vegas shooter, that the way that that person, uh, you know, loves and and respects and and they revere their guns and their bullets, that's something to be questioned. Why would you do that? Like like Alice said, unless you're in the military, why are we idolizing that? And for someone who's never been in the military, who's only 30 years old, and you have an arsenal of weapons, that's something to question their mental health with. Well, another issue, uh, Karen Smith, Forensics expert joining me along with John Limley, crime stories investigative reporter. First to you, Karen. He did not live alone. So how did his family allow him, if he did have a mental issue, to have an arsenal of guns and ammunition? Why? Well, from past experience, there's going to be some denial. We didn't know he was stockpiling guns. We didn't know he had all the ammunition. We don't go into his bedroom. That's his sanctuary. That's where he does his thing. Uh, That's the story I've heard over and over and over again. It makes me sick. You have a responsibility. This man has a history of mental illness. The family, if he's living there, has a responsibility to make sure that he's safe and the neighborhood is safe. Um... 
I don't understand how anyone could really have a stockpile, uh, quote unquote, of ammunition and guns and other people in the household not know about it. I don't I don't either. So, okay, here's another issue. Jackie here in the studio with me, John Limley, maybe you can answer this one. Jackie wants to know, how did this guy pass a background check if he had any mental illness, which I'm not convinced of, because a lot of guys pretend they have a girlfriend. You know the old trick, John Limley, of showing the picture of the girl that comes with the wallet and pretending that she that's actually a photo she gave you? I'm Absolutely, not, even though she looks like Farrah Fawcett or, yes. you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Hey, you're dating yourself, by the way. Uh, but go, go ahead. Go ahead. So how did he pass background checks to get guns? Well, this is still uh, trying to be figured out here. The suspect did have a history of mental illness, and uh, we're we're very anxious to know exactly how he was able to take go through the individual steps. Uh, we do know that uh, once this gun battle uh, took place uh, near the elementary school, the suspect ran back to his mother's home, and it's there. Uh, that the police set up a perimeter around the home before the suspect was killed. Now, it's not yet clear exactly how he died. Now, whether by police gunfire or a self-inflicted injury, a uh, sheriff's robot reportedly found Desario's body in the home before the uh, sheriff, uh, sheriff crew actually went into the house. Tell me about that, Karen Smith, forensics expert. Karen how do you process a scene like this? And I guess they sent the robot in. How does that work? It's so George Jetson. But how does that work um, to send a robot into a scene? I, let me just hold on. I guess you saw Home Alone 3, right? I mean, who hasn't? Where there is the little car and it's got the camera on top. Now, see, this is how I would explain it to a jury. Once a, somebody like Karen explained it to me, you put a camera on top and you send the robot car in to look around i'm guessing that's how it worked but they sent a robot in first how do you karen smith you're the forensics expert how do you go about processing a scene like this and figuring out what went down well it's going to be meticulous and the robot yeah it has a, a camera affixed to it and they use it for disarming bombs they can use it for uh, surveillance like they did here to find out if the suspect is still holed up and armed or if he's deceased or injured um, but what they're going to do is they're going to have to number and label all those shell casings out on the roadway, everything in the garage, deal with um, the victim at this point. And once they get inside, which is going to be one of the last things they do, they're going to find out if there's gunshot. It's called stippling, which would be ind indicative of a suicide gunshot. That's the gunpowder that discharges out of the gun. Um, if it's a self-inflicted wound, that will be present if it's a shot that came Stippling through a window. Stippling is or different from just gunshot residue. It's actually, you've got the gun so close to your skin, it's a contact wound, and it actually kind of burns the skin a little bit. Right, right. You can either have the powder burns, depending on how far away the muzzle was. Um, that'll be present if it's a self-inflicted wound. If it's not, and it was a, a shot from outside, they'll be able to tell that as well. So that's what we know right now. The scene is still being processed, and I'm sure the family of the victim is just beside themselves because he did absolutely nothing wrong. David Armstrong suddenly accused of flirting with Brian DeSario's imaginary girlfriend, 
is now dead. And while we're talking about it, they're planning a funeral. It's just almost too much to take in. You've got the mother who loses her longtime boyfriend, David Armstrong, and now her son. And we're talking about him as all of his problems and his imaginary girlfriend. But you know what? Your son is your son. And you love them without question, no matter what, warts and all. And it's just devastation. So there are a lot of questions to be answered. And I can't think of anyone better than Dr. Tiffany, Karen Smith, John Limley, and the Duke to try to figure it out with me. So just a little pause as we go about our business right now. There is a family hurting because of this scenario. Nancy Grace, Crime Story, signing off. Goodbye, friend. Do you find yourself obsessing over unsolved mysteries? Do you wish there was a group of people just like you to talk motives and alibis with? If so, join the CrimeCon Cold Case Club and work alongside experts and fellow crime sleuths to help uncover new leads and theories in the cold cases they adopt. Their first cold case focuses on the mysterious disappearance of nursing student Mara Murray in 2004, and it's free to join thanks to Oxygen. Sign up now or find more info at club.crimecon.com. That's club.crimecon.com.